Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for, for the next hour as we talk over everything racing. Joining me in the studio tonight, I have Seth Eggert, Richard Uden, and Louise Torres. Gentlemen, how we doing tonight? Doing good, thank you. Doing good. Pretty All good. Right. Cool. Seth? Haven't haven't heard from you in a few weeks. I know you've been busy covering these midweek NASCAR races and these um, uh, still covering a lot of iRacing, but it's good to have you back on the show. Um, and speaking of NASCAR, NASCAR has been in the news quite a bit lately um, for for a couple of different reasons. Um, uh, but but the big one is of course the um, the banning of the Confederate flag, um, and this has spiked a lot of split reaction uh, amongst fans and folks. Uh, some folks uh, are really applauding the decision. Um, other folks are, are staunchly against it, and they're using every argument you can imagine, and a lot of folks say they're done with NASCAR. But, I mean, I've, if whatever – I've had so many people I've been done with NASCAR for as long as I can remember. I, you know, I get tired of reading the same rhetoric over and over again. But, um, uh, you know, coming down to this thing here, and, and NASCAR attempted to do this – in 2015, uh, where they removed the Confederate flag or they banned the flag from any of uh, NASCAR uh, merchandise or or any team merchandise or any team trailers or anything like that. And then they asked the fans to, uh, and I quote, refrain from displaying uh, the flag at the events, although that was just a half-hearted, half-assed attempt that was never Oh, you know, it was never enforced at all. Nobody, you know, they said, we asked that you don't do this, but uh, nothing really changed at that point. But now um, it's it's a, it's a total ban. Uh, so, Seth, um, you have some thoughts on this, I know. Uh, honestly, I do. Uh, being a Jewish race fan, uh, that flag has always been intimidating for me. I really wasn't exposed to it until I started going to racing races uh, in Charlotte, Richmond, Bristol. Uh, growing up in New Jersey, you didn't see it. You didn't see it at Dover. You didn't see it at Pocono uh, or any of the tracks back up north. In 2015, I'm not going to name the track or the race because it's not their fault that this happened. But in 2015, at, after the invocation... Being a Jewish race fan, I said shalom instead of amen. A few seconds later, a beer can exploded next to me. Uh, looked behind me, and there were some fans with the Confederate flag shirts, and they started heckling me. Uh, I waited until the first caution, and I got up and left that section. Luckily, it was a rain out, so there were plenty of empty seats elsewhere. And I... I walked from turn one to turn four before I uh, grabbed another seat because I didn't know if they were following me. And I even got stopped by, I don't know if it was track security or a cop. I think it might have been a cop because he even administered a breathalyzer test and had me do 
Oh, that because I reeked of alcohol because of the beer that exploded next to me. So he gave, you, having... he gave you a breathalyzer test at a racetrack? Isn't everybody there yes. kind of drinking beer? Yes, I know. Okay. That's <laughs> the point. Yeah, well, I again, um, I think this is a good good move on NASCAR's part uh, to do that. I think it's long overdue. And I think that um, you know any argument that anybody has to the contrary is is, is very hollow, uh, you know, and the, the history and heritage um, argument it, it falls flat with me because honestly that that flag uh, belongs in a Confederate museum or in a Civil War museum for sure, um, but but I don't see the purpose in displaying it, you know, in the modern day and age, especially since it was you know repopularized by terrorist groups such as the. Ku Klux Klan, and it was also used by um, segregationist groups in the 40s and 50s, to, you know, where it made a comeback. Otherwise, you may not see that flag today. So we'll just have to see yeah, what, I mean, I just, what what happens from sorry. here. I mean, enforcing it at the track, because um, you're going to have folks that are going to try to push the boundaries, um, you know, sneak sneak one in the camper and then put it up once they get in there, and then we'll have to see the sparks fly from there. So, uh, But go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I mean, it's just on the – um, you know, the, the point of the um, meaning of this, uh, of the flag. And obviously, bear in mind, you know, coming from the UK, my sort of historical background on this is, is very different. But we have, you know, in Europe, our own um, historical symbols, if you like, that have alternate meanings from their original uh, inception. But, um, you know, I go back to, you know, anybody that works in the commercial or corporate environment, <clears throat> you know, one of the things everybody has to adhere to is, is corporate email policy and everybody reads those and, you know, everybody goes through corporate, you know, training. And, 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 and the point that's always made is, is, you know, for um, topics that are, you know, when people send out emails, you know, in, uh, on the sort of concept of, um, you know, appropriate email content and offensive and abusive email content, it's not what the person that, you know, sends an email finds abusive is what the recipient finds abusive. And at the end of the day, when you're in the public domain, you have a you have a, a far bigger audience than you do people displaying the flag. You know, there's one person displaying it when there's thousands of people viewing it. So you've got to take into consideration everybody else that's there at the venue. And just because you feel that something's okay, you know, doesn't really take into consideration the other. 20, 30, 40,000 people are at the venue. And, uh, you know, we all share this big rock flowing around in space. And, uh, we, you know, we've got to take other people into consideration a little bit here at times. Now, something I do want to say, which is more of a positive, uh, after banning the flag, we did have a big influx of new fans that were interested in watching Martinsville and watching Homestead. Uh, I actually spent a lot of time on Twitter explaining and answering questions to uh, former NFL players and current NFL players like Bernard Pollard Jr., Alvin Kamara, uh, WNBA players like Renee Montgomery, people that I never would have thought I would have been interacting with on Twitter about NASCAR, let alone anything else, because for me, I'm just a motorsports fan. I, uh, Frank, you know how poorly I did in uh, fantasy football. I know next to nothing about football or soccer or any other uh, stick and ball sport. So uh, it, it's one of those where it was amazing to see so many people give NASCAR a chance just because of this one decision. Yeah, and it's like I said, they're they're far from diverse you know I, I think it was uh willie t ribs uh who said the other day willie t ribs who's a friend of the show uh we've had him on before he uh what, what were his what was his quote he said nascar's made made a very good step but they need to keep stepping you know so uh but but it is i think you know i think it's a positive move i do applaud the series for for doing that uh, knowing uh how unpopular it is to a a section of their fan base uh, but but it's the right thing to do at the end of the day. So but let's uh, let's move on from from the flag and talk about some of the some of the races. Let's talk about the checkered flags. Uh, so NASCAR we had uh, 
two races since we uh, were last on the show here. Um, one at Martinsville and then at, at Homestead. And we saw uh, Toyotas win both of those. Martin Truex in uh, Martinsville and then Denny Hamlin. Is this, this Denny's third win of the year or his fourth? Third. Third win of the year. Third win of the year. So uh, so it seems like the early season struggles uh, for Toyota uh, are are easing up a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the Chevys and Ford still look strong. Um, Kyle Busch, for some reason, seems to be nowhere this year. This is uh, this is probably the worst start to a season Kyle's had since, uh, uh, you know, since he had the accident and had to, to miss the early part of the season. Uh, back you're, in, you're exactly right. Yeah. So let's go. Well, uh, one. one. Uh, He's only won once in the last year in the cup level. Where I think between Michigan last year to now, he's only won once, and that was the championship deciding race at Homestead. Well, that was a good one to win. So. Yeah. But still, <laughs> you know, but but still uh, once, he has only won in the cup level in the last year. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting to see Kyle get off to a – uh, kind of a slow start, but uh, you know, if I know anything about Kyle Busch, once he once he hits a stride, he's he becomes very tough to beat. So, uh, but let's uh, let's talk about Martinsville. Um, great win for Truex. Um, you know, short tracks used to be Martin's Achilles' heel. It took him a long time to uh, win on a short track, and now this is his second Martinsville win. Am I correct? In a row. Right. Okay. So, uh, Seth, uh, Louise, Richard, you guys, uh, let's let's talk about Martinsville. Who wants to start? Well, it was. Or Louise, you go first. Okay. I was gonna say, go ahead. But I, overall, what they had in the short track, because that was gonna be a big question mark for some of the drivers, like an Austin Dillon and a Tyler Reddick, how they're gonna do, or even a Bubba Wallace, with everything on his shoulder, kind of like carrying NASCAR on that very night, because that was the day that he announced about the whole Confederacy ordeal being banned. I was curious how they were going to do, and I think those RCR-equipped cars, because, correct me if I'm wrong, they're still po- Petty's cars are still powered by RCR, correct. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. As a check. Jermaine as well. Want to double-check. Those – well, Bubba had a real strong car. Had it not been probably for Boyer trying to pull another 2012 on the field – he may, who knows Bubba would have got a stage win out because he did stay out for two tires. They were right on the mon- they were right on the money having a real strong car, but they just couldn't get the proper caution to be right up there. And same thing for Jimmy Johnson because I felt like had a, a battle for ten probably could have been a battle for a top five, maybe a win. But those Penske trios just it looked like they were going to be tough. But once Truex got up and the front of the field, there was no stopping Truex. It's all about that clean air and navigating through traffic. For Austin, he was he drove the distance up until he had a heating issue with the car. Something broke, which you guys can elaborate a little bit more. Uh, that he had to get out of the car. They had to take him out. Uh, what, yeah, uh, what happened was uh, lap five or six. Uh, he ran over debris. It cut the right rear tire, and the right rear tire shredded the crush panel. So all of the fumes were entering the car. Uh, and they didn't have a relief driver on hand because of uh, the COVID-19 guidelines. So once he had to get out of the car, the car was done for the day. Uh, Going back to Bubba real quick, he also would run further up the field, except they had a uh, droop chain fail Mm -hmm. on the left-hand side, which caused, instead of... uh, (laughs) I think the pit stops, instead of being 13 or 14 seconds, were in the 15 to 18 second range, which yeah. doesn't seem like much. But when the entire mm-hmm. field is pitting, uh, it dropped him every time they pitted. He entered inside the top 10 and he would leave like 15 to 18. Uh, yeah. Ryan Blaney would have been in contention to battle with Truex, except A, during the final pit stop, a crew member dropped the air gun. Plus, they were over the wall too soon, so he had to restart from the rear. Apart and, from that, they were great. Yeah, and he he rallied back to second. And Blaney, I believe, passed the most cars at Martinsville because he yep. also went a lap down that first run, uh, and was stuck a lap down because Corey LaJoy stayed on track, trapping 
Laney, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Eric Almarola, and others a lap down the entire race. Yeah, it seems like all the the entire race revolve around Corey LaJoy and when it comes to lap traffic and that one. Because the thing, what Blaney, when he fell up, that he was leading like about 20 minutes before. How tells you how things can change at Martinsville. It was definitely an interesting race, to say the least. Uh, you had Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman, and even Matt DiVandello, for that uh, matter, battling up front, and then they would fade, and then all of a sudden they came back, and they were running up front again. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just a matter, as I mentioned, how things could change. You have to be right on it. This uh, this year, we've seen a lot of pit stop issues. Like We're, we're learning a lot from new things. Whether it's how many pumps does it take for a jack to go? If it's multiple, that's not a good thing these days. It's typically two pumps is your aim. Two pumps. If, if everything's working right and you're a good team, two pumps on your jack, you should get up. That's what we work towards anyway. And I, I believe with a broken uh, droop chain for Bubba, it was taking between three and five pumps. Yeah, 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 to get it up high enough to, uh, to let the wheel hang, yeah. Yeah. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. One thing I did, I did want to mention, um, you know, bring up a bit of a personal thing, really, was, you know, James Small, uh, the crew chief on uh, the 19th for Martin Trucks. Um, he was a race engineer at Childress when I first joined the team. And uh, Australian uh, race engineer used to work in the um, Australian Touring Car Series. Um, and, and when I first moved over, he was a, a great help to me on a personal level. You know, the transition from moving country and everything's a pretty big move. If anybody's ever done it, they'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, and James is a great guy, great engineer, really, really, really switched on. Um, and it was a huge help to me on a personal level, but also a professional level. He was, he was a top guy. And, uh, you know, he moved to first row, uh, moved out to Denver with them, was a race engineer for, for Martin when Cole's there. Then moved over to Joe Gibbs when uh, Furniture Row sort of folded. Um, and, you know, he's got his chance to, you know, Cole Perton's pretty big, pretty big shoes to fill there in that 19 car. And, uh, you know, showed the continuity is, you know, is the way to go with these things. And uh, massively, massively pleased with the guy. He's, he's, he's a great guy and a great engineer and deserves all the success. And I'm sure that's going to be the first of uh, many wins for him as a crew chief in NASCAR. And, uh, yeah, really, really, really pleased for him. Great guy. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly, he's certainly aligned with uh, with the right guys and the right team if you want to win a lot of races. So, But it was uh, oh. really yeah, really, yeah. Good, really good to see and, him see him get his first win as a crew chief, yeah. so Yeah, you align because you're good, you know. Exactly, yeah, they don't uh, – yeah, the top teams hire the top yeah, guys. That's how it works. Exactly. A team like Joe Gibbs, if you, if you, you know, if you can't cut the mustard, you ain't – you know you're going to be you're going to be kicked out pretty soon. So uh, no, huge amount of uh, respect for James as, a, as an engineer and as a crew chief, and he's in a fantastic job there. So uh, fair play to him. You know it's not easy. Um, you know as a I don't want to say this in a negative way, but as an outsider getting involved in the sport, and um, you know James has certainly uh, answered any critics that he may have had on there. And uh, yeah, you know hopefully that's the first of many. Uh, I really hope so. Yeah, and that that Australian touring cars um, series is uh, yeah, that's a pretty solid series too. We've seen a. Uh, it's very uh, similar in, in lots of ways to NASCAR in yes. terms of how the cars are built and set up and the geometries. But obviously, they only race road courses. Um, and of course, you've seen with uh, on the IndyCar side with with McLaughlin coming over potentially, and also James Davidson, who's going to be uh, racing at Talladega this weekend as well. 
So there is, you know, and of course we've had, um, oh, who is his name? The guy that drove for Roush. Ah. Uh, it's not Ambrose anymore. Ambrose, oh, yeah. Ambrose. Yeah, Marcus Ambrose, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I've got a great stories about that guy from uh, some guys that uh, I used to work with. He, 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 who was it he punched at uh, Bristol? Brian Scott, I think. No, it wasn't Brian Scott, right. I think. He punched or, somebody. Or Casey Mears. Casey Mears. Casey Mears, yeah, yeah, apparently. Hey, it, it was the same weekend Brian Scott got kicked by uh, Nelson PK. That's why I was thinking uh, okay. that. Okay, yeah. The, the story goes very briefly. Just to, you know, the, the Australian. You know, talking about James being Australian. Obviously, Marcus Ambrose Australian. The, the way these guys work is fantastic. Apparently, uh, uh, I used to know the competition director at uh, Roush, and he was he was leaving the track after the Bristol race, and uh, got a phone call from Marcus Ambrose's PA uh, girl, and said, uh, you, "You need to come back in the track." He's like, "Why? Marcus has punched somebody." Oh God, no! Did anybody see it? And this is the point where he turns around, and on the jumbotron at Bristol, you can see <laughs> Mark Zambra's punching Casey Mears. He's like, "Oh God, no!" So he goes into the trailer and finds Mark Zambra's there, and he's like, Marcus, "What the hell do you do?" And he said, "Well, I told him." He said, "What do you mean you told him?" He said, "I told Casey Mears if he doesn't let go of my fire suit, I'm going to punch him." And well, he didn't let go of my fire suit, so I punched him. And that was it sounds reasonable, right? Yeah, I mean, perfect defense. He's like, well, I told him not to do it, and he did it, so I punched him. Yeah, what's multiple the warnings. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what's the problem apart from it's all over the TV and over the jumbo trout outside? Nothing wrong with that. No, at all. No, nothing. But, you know, that, oh, no, that, that stuff's good for ratings. You know, whenever we have a little driver scuffle, we see replays oh, yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah, so. Exactly. Yeah. The whole Australian sort of character and, and mannerisms that, you know, that they – you know, no BS sort of thing from, the, and it's perfectly true. You know, and uh, I'm sure James carries that over in his. Um, you know, I know my, my dealings with him. He, he was very straight, you know, to the point, and I'm sure that's carrying over. And that's what you need as a crew chief. You know, you need somebody who who doesn't mess around, who comes to the point and and, and goes with it. Um, so um, yeah, I think he's going to work really, really well. And uh, yeah, we need more people like that in the sport. More people who who don't play the PR game. Speaking of driver run-ins and rivalries, uh, Chase Elliott and Joey Logano at Homestead. Uh, Chase Elliott was leading, and Logano, after what happened at Bristol a few weeks ago, uh, said, uh, quote, Chase cost him a race, so he cost Chase a race, and held Chase up just enough for Hamlin to get by to take the win. Uh, Granted, would Hamlin have caught Chase and possibly gotten by him probably but would he have been able to do it with the ease that he was able to do it probably not uh so that's an interesting rivalry that's developing as well as one between hamlin and Corey lajoy which uh if you're following twitter uh cory has apparently claimed that hamlin threatened uh, to wreck him in a race and gotten and Corey got NASCAR involved and Hamlin is now saying the entire story is false. It's weird. I mean, yeah, it's a weird. In, in, in all, I mean, in all fairness, Hamlin and Corey the Joy aren't going to come across each other on the track that often. Yeah, that, that's kind of a Dave, really. David versus Goliath I mean, kind of thing right there. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, wreck you when I'm lapping you for the third time. You know. Yeah, because here's the thing about Cor about Hamlin, because he did say that when it comes to joking and better, he said this uh, were at, and during the video post race conference when Jeff Gluck asked that question about the whole thing. It's nothing. It's some. It's nothing personal. But if he likes the driver, he will kind of rib him. But if he doesn't like it, or he will not pull something like it. And also, he got upset about it because you got to remember, Denny Hamlin's starter was essentially little to nothing. He's not one of those paid drivers or come from a family background. And he had to work his way up and vice versa. That's what he told. And then what this thing came out today, as we're recording this, I was thinking, huh, because it doesn't stress and all that. It just adds more fuel to the fire. And we'll see come Friday's morning, Friday morning where I'm from, the press video press video conference what Corey has to say and somebody's going to ask because for sure he's been the biggest topic outside of Chase Elliott when it comes to all the melodrama that's going on in the sport. Now something on the more lighter side though uh, to get away from the Reds and all of that uh, Tyler Reddick almost pulled a Mark Martin at the end of the Homestead race uh, coming to the white flag he thought he 
the race was over and was slowing to go down to pit road until the crew started screaming at him that there was one more lap left. And he went from battling Ryan Blaney for third place to finishing four seconds behind Blaney in fourth place. Oh, what a bummer. What a bummer, yeah. So now speaking of Blaney, this guy's quietly having a, a very good year. He's you know, he hasn't won yet this year, but he's he sits fifth in points right now. Um he's he's got several top fives and, and he looks good week in and week out. Um so I mean do you feel like uh Ryan Blaney can uh, put up a big uh, fight coming down the line? I mean you've got you've got some big dogs doing really well this year when you look at uh, you know, Denny Hamlin and, and, and Harvick and uh Keselowski all with uh, uh, up there at the at the top of the order, but uh, I think Blaney's an interesting guy in the mix. I think he's really, really. I mean, we've you know we've seen him drive very well the the past several years, but I think he's uh, he, he's really reaching um, that status where where I feel like he's going to be a consistent winner week in and week out. It seems kind of odd, but where the third team at Penske has always struggled. Uh, historically, whether it was Brendan Gaughan when they first had a third team, Sam Horns Jr., or now Blaney. Yes, Blaney has won a race here, a race there. Uh, I think he's won once the past three years. Uh, yeah, he won, 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 the, year. won the Roval. Uh, and he won Talladega last year. Right, right. Uh, but he has been much more consistent, uh, a bigger threat for victory. I think he's good for at least one or two wins this year, uh, which, funny enough, this is something we used to say about Martin Truex Jr. way back when when he was driving for uh, Michael Waltrip Racing. So he almost feels like somebody like a Truex that just hasn't reached the pinnacle of what he can do yet. Yeah, and as far as that third team, I think this is the, the first time the third Penske car has, have, has been pretty good since 2001. Because remember, Newman, when Newman was in the 02, walloping Mayfield every race that he has, as long as he doesn't wreck the thing. And as long as the engine uh, held on the entire yeah. race as well. Yeah, true. I mean, it's it's interesting you you know you make the comparison to Martin Truex because Truex Truex is a guy I really like. Um, and uh, but but his he was close to being a has been in the sport until he suddenly caught fire. You know his like his career just took a while to get going. I think he he won a race early on and then it was it was what, five six years and and now and now the guy's unstoppable. You know it's really well, Drews has had a very interesting career. You know once it, once you get the combination of the right people right place and 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 to the point you know Furniture Row is not. You know, was not the pinnacle team of the sport. I mean, he uh, certainly he uh, did his part to to build that team into a you know a giant slayer. Uh, so, so, so let me give you some insight into Furniture Row because obviously when I was children, they were one of our alliance teams. So people sort of look at them as this, you know, as as almost all the other alliance teams out there. Now, now typically in NASCAR, alliance teams are make up the numbers. Furniture Row's budget was probably bigger than most single car cup teams. You know, their the budget was up there as a two or a three car team uh, quite easily. And, and what they did, which caused a little bit of consternation amongst us, was they take the parts that we designed at uh, Childress and just push them a little bit harder and, uh, you know, maybe grind away at a few parts, make them a little bit lighter, maybe push the boundaries, which we couldn't do because typically in NASCAR you have to submit parts to the governing body for approval. Suspension parts all have to be approved. And then we, then that would allow us to run them at the race or sell them to our alliance partners. But when Furniture Row got hold of them, they grind on them and buff them and tweak them and chisel them and, and do all these things to make them just a little bit lighter, just a little bit faster. And because they had the budget to be able to do that, they were, you know, taking a reasonably solid product that we had at RCR and uh, and really pushed it to the limit. So they knew how to play the game, um, and you know, they were they weren't given the credit they deserved in many many ways. Uh, you know, they were uh, they had the resources of a of a front running team in many many ways. You know, was it Barney Vassar is the guy's name? Visser. Visser. He put a load of his cash into that team. And they were successful because of it. And, 
you know, they and, and, and you know, not only with Childress, but then also when they went to Joe Gibbs and, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, I remember talking to guys at Joe Gibbs and just after they'd started and they were like, they're like this with you. Like, yeah. And do you want them back? It's like, no. <laughs> now, now the other reason why I made the comparison between Blaney and Truex, uh, somewhat had a similar career path to Penske uh, because he started with Tommy Baldwin racing at first and he caught the eye of Brad Keselowski who was driving for Roger at, uh, and still uh, for that matter and Brad signed him to his truck team which then led Blaney to sign a development deal with Penske and he spent about two or three years running part-time schedules in trucks and Xfinity and then a little bit with the Wood Brothers and Cup, but it wasn't until 2016, 2017 that he actually got a full-time deal. So kind of like Truex, where he was for about four or five years out, almost out to lunch, uh, Blaney, by no fault of his own, was just uh, bouncing between part-time deals. Yeah, and he certainly found a good home uh... – <laughs> you know, at Roger's place. So, uh, so speaking of Penske, now the the one of the topics that uh, that I keep hearing coming up is that uh, Brad Keselowski is in a contract year. Um, and so, do either any of you folks feel uh, there's any reason that Keselowski would move on from Penske? That's an interesting one, since considering he's just won two races with them. Sure, circumstances were play a role in that, but I feel like if he wins outright at some point, it may not change his mind. But you got to keep in mind: Would Hendrick want to go for him? Would Hendrick want a veteran to start yeah. off? Or that's the only way he's going to move, isn't it? Is if he goes to the forty-eight? I can't. Or, not that I think of any mm, other open seats the, in the field that are available. There's maybe one other open seat, and that would be the forty-two. Uh, mm. Is he at the state? But, but Brad's, you know, still, in all fairness, uh, at the the high end of his career. Oh, you know. Oh, I know. I well, and you've got to look at that forty-two. You know, is that a better option? Um, oh, oh! I'm not saying that. I'm not arguing that. Uh, I'm just throwing that one out there too. Granted, everyone keeps saying Ross Chastain is the heir apparent to the 42, but what they're all, what just about everyone's forgetting is Ross has that Nutrient Ag Solution sponsorship, which is good for a good chunk of the Cup Series schedule uh, with the amount that they're paying <laughs> for the Xfinity Series because they're not only on Ross's car. They're paying for another about eight to twelve races for AJ Allmendinger, so they have enough to do probably a full cup schedule. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Then you have Credit One Bank, McDonald's, and Clover on the 42. So Chip Ganassi could very easily become a three-car team. That being said, whether or not Brad is interested in going there, I know he's also uh, talked about in the past of expressing interest in owning his own cup team. Whether or not that ship has sailed, because he was only talking about that last year, uh, that's an interesting route as well. I could see him going to the 48 for a year or two and then doing something similar to what Tony Stewart did and owning his own cup team in an alliance with Hendrick. Or like Daryl Waltrip as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but I get... The other thing you've got to think about with Brad is that he also owns a manufacturing company and he could potentially, if that is a success, which I think it's starting to be, he could potentially, you know back his own ride through his sponsorship. He has his own manufacturing group. So he certainly can self-fund himself. Um, but I, I I could see that that's the... Uh, I think the 48 is the only real, only real logical move for, uh, for Brad right now. 
I mean, if um, there's a move, I mean, the most the thing that makes the most sense is he stays put because I can't see any reason why. But is the money why, there for him? Well, because obviously, by sounds of things, Miller are out. Well, yeah, yeah, Miller, Miller, yeah, is yeah, Miller is out. Really, yeah, Miller is yeah. out, but uh, so, they've had PPG step up and uh, pick up a few more races. Um, tire, they've got uh, tire, uh, tire discounters, right? And then yeah. he's um, the other one is the um, what's the other? Uh, the Lions Truck Parts. The Lions, and there's there's uh, another Detroit there's, uh, Genuine Parts. Fitzgerald. 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 Fitzgerald Kits, yeah. And there's there's one uh, other Money I'm Lion. missing. Money Lion. <laughs> I thought Moneyline was a Ganassi sponsor. No, it's no, uh, no, no, no. You're right because Moneyline we've seen on um, uh, Austin's, Austin Cindric's car. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so there's the there's money there continue. in the Penske organization, and I feel so like the... I feel like Roger is happy with uh, with both of his lead drivers, both Joey and Brad. So I, I can't really see a compelling reason but, for them not to try to give well, him a contract to, to re- retain but him. He, but here's the thing: you can't keep Austin Cindric in Xfinity forever. And she yes, the Wood it, Brothers. Yeah. I was going to say, but where does that leave Matty Bandetto? Because Matt's on a two-year deal. Yeah, and I don't. And who knows? There's a wild. There's also a good wild card shot for Chase Briscoe. I know I was speaking with somebody that Chase Briscoe could probably be the stealer as far as that's concerned. But we'll see how he does because Centric is obviously going to get top priority for a Penske or Wood Brothers right before Briscoe could. So there's a lot of moving parts here that if you take all of them together, to me, Brad might leave. But if he does, does he go to the 48 or does he start his own team in an alliance with somebody? Or does, he, or does he buy into a team and make it an alliance with somebody? Would he want to start his own team in 2021 with the new car now in 2022, though? No, yeah, so I could see him being at Hendrick for a year or two, and then once a new car and a new engine in 2023, uh, once all of that is in place, maybe then starting his own team, because by then, talk is that uh, the alliance system might not mean as much as it does now. I mean, also, you look at the, you know, we talk about Brad going to the 48, but if he, say hypothetically, he doesn't, and they pick somebody else, you know, there's not that many drivers out there that are going to be on the market with the experience that Brad has. So say they pick another young guy. I mean, what's the average age of Hendrick going to be next year, you know, with their four drivers? I mean, it'll be like 22 or 23. Yeah, they've got a lot of of really young guys in there. They sure do, yeah. And that's great, front-loading your... Uh, stable with young, you know, up and coming, up and coming talent because they obviously all deserve to be where they are. But, um, you know, at some point you've got to have that wise head on somebody's shoulders to turn around and say, "This is the direction we need to take the team." And you look at who they've lost in the last two or three years. You know, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr. You know, three guys there who. You couldn't buy that experience. So if you get rid of, you know, obviously Jimmy's leaving. If you were then to go along and, you know, pick up another young kid in his early 20s, yes, it's cheap. But who's your team? I mean, Chase Elliott would probably be considered your team leader. But, I mean, he's, what, 24, 25? Uh, you know, that's young to be a team leader on a with an organization of the magnitude as Hendrick Motorsports. Yeah, I, I agree, yeah. I, I I agreed that I, Elliot has the potential to be a fantastic uh, team leader I mean, you almost, in the you future, know, but you know, the, but there's no there's no substitute for years of experience. Except I mean, years. Hey, let's let's throw a, let's throw let's throw a name out here. You know, I know we're talking about silly season, but you know, would you look at somebody, maybe even Ryan Newman? You know, give him a couple of a year in the forty-eight or two. Just to get that experience in there, he's probably not—he's probably not as quick as Chase or um, Alex Bowman or you know any of those guys. So but, and, and, a veteran to kind of help the young guys out. Yeah, for just to years. give that little and, bit of yeah, just somebody who turns around who can say in a in a team meeting because I've been in them and I've seen them and you know I was in them with Ryan and he's uh, for as much criticism as Ryan Newman gets, that guy knows how to drive a race car. You know, his motivation at times could be questioned, and, and rightly or wrongly. But 
if you put him in a group of people, he will have his opinion heard. And he can turn around as well as anybody and turn around and say, you know what, guys, you're wrong. This is what we need to do. Let's just – and I, I think a team like Hendrick, because you know what? Those cars have been fast this year. I think Hendrick is, from a consistency standpoint, have probably had – I mean, you could certainly put a blanket over Hendrick, Penske, and JGR, I think, this year in terms of outright packs. You know, they probably – you know, I know Alex, has, Alex Bowman's won a race and Chase has won a race. Jimmy hasn't yet, and William Byron hasn't. But the, the pace is there. You know, on any other given day, Jimmy Johnson could have easily won a couple of races this year. Um, you know, so, so those you – know, certainly Hendrick has the pace. They just need that little bit of experience, I think, going into next year. And, um, and not that I'm going to contradict, but then you also have some, I guess – wild card picks that would be the best way of explaining it but uh Corey LaJoy uh made it known that he actually sent a letter to uh Rick Hendrick during the awards ceremony last year uh to make his case for the 48 and well, then he, who wouldn't? Yeah, I was gonna say granted uh there's a lot of talk that Bubba is gonna resign with the uh, Petty for a multi-year contract, but he was also a name that was floated for a while for the 48. I so, mean, as controversial as it would be, especially given the current climate, you know, Kyle Larson wouldn't be a bad shout. I think Larson will end up in the 14, to be honest. I mean, well, possibly. But you know what? You want somebody cheap? Kyle Larson certainly will not be able to command the salary now that he would have been able to six months well, ago. Well, he still has to apply for reinstatement, though, before he'd he get can... That in a heart, he'd get that in a heartbeat, though, wouldn't yeah. he? Yeah. You know, I don't think that's an issue. But, um, you know, that's maybe not a bad shout. I don't know, we, we were drifting off topic here, I know, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's not. That's the, that's the silly season was the topic, so. But let's talk about uh, the All-Star race. Uh, NASCAR announced that the All-Star race will move from Charlotte to Bristol, based on the fact that uh, Tennessee um, will now allow sporting events with 20% um, of the capacity. Uh, Bristol Motor Speedway has 155,000 permanent seats, so that means uh, at that 20%, they can allow 30,000 fans in. Um, they put uh, tickets for sale on, on the website. Uh, they are absolutely reasonable. It is $65 to sit in the uh, the uh, uh, higher-up grandstands and $35 to sit in the lower grandstands. Um, if, if you're interested in tickets, you do have to sign the waiver, um, provide your name and email address, and, and click that you agree to the waiver um, before you can view the ticket website. And then once you purchase tickets, you're essentially buying uppers or lowers. You have no idea where you're going to sit until they get all the ticket orders in, and then they'll figure out how to space uh, folks out. Um, but, I, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Bristol is, you know, built like a, like a, a coliseum. It's a half-a-mile track. Wherever you sit, it's a good seat. Um, you can see the whole track from uh, pretty much any vantage point there. So uh, I think that'll be a neat deal to have some, you know, actual – paying fans in there. I know we're, we're going to do some stuff with uh, invited guests and, and those sort of things at uh, some of these races coming up. We did that Homestead. I believe we're doing that Talladega. But, uh, you know, actual um, just genuine fans. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do for social distancing and as far as concessions and, and restrooms and those sort of things. But I imagine that uh, there'll be plans in place. I imagine they'll be handing out masks at the gate. Uh, you know, uh, I really, I, I really don't well, want to try to make my head hurt by thinking how they're going to jump through all the hoops, but it will be nice to see fans at a racetrack for the first time this year. I mean, other than some of your local short tracks. Well, uh, for Bristol, I believe uh, masks are recommended, not required. I don't know about Talladega, but I do know uh, they, at least uh, for Talladega and for Bristol, they're talking about uh, social distancing. Uh, and for Talladega, you're also going to have uh, RVs on the backstretch only on the outside of the track. Uh, they're not letting anyone inside the track that is not a part of a race team. 
Right, so you can park outside of the backstretch and and watch from the roof of your RV. Yes. So, well, I mean, that's not a lot of folks enjoy that. Uh, I mean, I did that at um, at Kentucky one year. Um, it, it, matter of fact, it was the year uh, you and I went to Kentucky, Seth. Uh, I had left you in a media center. I went to join some friends of mine who had their RV out there in turn three and watched from the roof of the RV, and it was a very very kind of fun experience. Uh, I had not, you know, watched the race from uh, that type of vantage point before, but uh, had a great old time. And I want to say, at least for, uh, I know at Homestead they had 1,000 fans, 500 members of, of uh, the military and first responders, and they were all allowed to bring one guest each. I don't think they were all used all the tickets, but I know a good majority of them were. So we are slowly getting fans back here and there. It will be different from track to track. Some will have more, some will have less, some may not have any at all. I know Pocono won't have any. Yeah, uh, I mean, every every state is a little different in, I, in what they're opening up. Yeah, so. I've heard Watkins Glen might have fans, although that's uh, not official yet. Yeah, that's so. interesting. And uh, need to add on to Pocono painfully Indianapolis. Ugh. Yeah. So it, it's going to be a process, uh, unfortunately, but it's for the greater good and for everybody's safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, now, it, when Indy cars come to Road America, they are they're letting fans in there. I mean, Wisconsin is a bit more open than some other states, and again, Road America has plenty of space for distancing. Uh, so that'll be another great event there. Iowa is teetering on a decision to allow fans in at the IndyCar race, although I heard no fans at their NASCAR events. Uh, Iowa, the NASCAR events at Iowa have been canceled. Okay, so no no NASCAR event at uh, Iowa. But yeah, the, the IndyCar uh, race there, I, I, I believe I want to say like this weekend, this coming Friday, there's supposed to be an announcement um, the, you know, some folks I know said the, uh, the, there's no tickets available on the website. I said, well, it would be silly for them to sell tickets until they know for sure, you know, that that'll, you know, limit the refund process in case they, they decide not to allow, allow fans in. But, uh, it, from what I'm hearing, they're really leaning towards, um, allowing fans in at Iowa, Iowa as a state is, uh, becoming more and more open up. So, uh, things are slowly, slowly feeling normal. Uh, you know, I still... Uh, you know, and certain things just to me don't look right. The the empty <laughs> victory circle, you know, the, uh, the 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 microphone on a stick, so uh, we don't have to get too close to uh, to the winning driver. Um, it's all it's all weird. It's it's all bizarre. But uh, but my gosh, I, you know, it's it's so much better than um, when all we had to entertain us was um, i racing, which. Which honestly, I racing is still around. If for those interested, uh, oh, I know, I know you're a big uh, I racing fan, Seth. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, I racing wise, uh, Parker Klingerman and Landon Castle teamed up to promote the Firecracker 400. They're using the brand new, uh, new tie racing anyway, uh, 1987 uh, NASCAR Fort Thunderbird in Monte Carlo at the Legacy version of Daytona. And with a twelve thousand five hundred dollar prize up for grabs, with three hundred forty four entries. Wow! I also hear they're doing a big uh, virtual Le Mans as well. I saw um, uh, they had it last week. Well, no, oh, was that it last week? Was, that one wasn't I racing. That one was uh, R Factor, and they had their enough technical issues. Uh, their server crashed mid race. Uh, before the server crash, Alonzo was 69 laps down. After yeah. the server crash, he was six laps down. Nice. So nice, somehow, and nice. Sound like the Alonzo has a hacker working for him. But uh, <laughs> the, the iRacing 24 Hours of Le Mans, or thanks to the ACO uh, uh, basically threatening legal action because they didn't want the same 24 copyrighted uh, logo, uh, being used. iRacing's uh, 24 hours of racing in the French countryside at Le Mans. Uh, that's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Blame the ACO for that one. Yeah, so anyway, so let's let's talk about the other news this week, which was the Hall of Fame uh, selections for NASCAR. 
Um, and Louise, you wanted to uh, lead that discussion, so you go right ahead, sir. Absolutely. So yesterday, after a month delay, they finally announced the class of 2021 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductees. It's the first time, instead of five, they'll allow three, two for the modern era and one for the pioneer. On the pioneer side, it's going to be none other than Red Farmer, who will be racing in Alabama this weekend, by the way, and will be 88 years old on, in October. So this confirms he's born in 1932 because there's that birth year dispute. Anyways, back to what I was saying. I'll talk more about Red briefly, kind of the question that I asked and kind of like his why his win at Daytona in 71 was important. From the modern era committee, it was the late Mike Stefanik, seven-time modified champion, two-time Bush North champion, now known as the Arca East, and, other, of course, first ballot Hall of Famer, Dale Earnhardt Jr., who had 76% of the votes to get in this time around. So it wasn't unanimous. It wasn't like 80 or 90% like Jeff Gordon had a couple years ago, but a good range. And Ralph Seagraves is the landmark award winner with the Squire Hall Award, as usual, will be announced at a later time. As far as Ren, it's an interesting story that I learned. The question I asked naturally was the toughest competitor he ever had. And considering he's been racing for well over 60 plus years, almost 70, he had a, he, he had he mentioned Bobby and Donnie Allison, of course, Fireball Robert. He didn't really had a specific one, but when I totally understood because he's been racing for a long time. There's so many competitors. He's raced pretty much with them all, except for probably Haley Deegan at this point. But <laughs> yeah. We'll see, yeah, give him time. Give him time. <laughs> I know he's still. It blows my mind that dude is still racing. But my gosh, you know what I mean? What a career he's had. Well, yeah, yeah I was gonna say. There's only one driver, to my knowledge, that has raced with Red Farmer, Red Byron, uh, the first NASCAR champion, and Haley Deegan, and that's Herschel McGriff. Who, in hand, got the second most votes, which in this case would be the first one out. So come to 2022, he could be the favorite to go with for the 2022 class. But as far as Red, he, the reason why he talked about the 71 Permatex 300 being his all-time favorite one, was considering that his mom was at the track. It was the first time, to his knowledge, she ever went to the race. She hardly went to any at all before, maybe at most five. But for her mom to be there on her birthday, February 13th, at 71, that was a, such a big deal for him. And that, I think hearing Red's stories for a half an hour during the video conference yesterday, stuff like that that I never learned, never heard, and it's stuff that I relish hearing about because in this day and age, you just always appreciate what you have and who are telling the stories, not, not just in the NASCAR side, but also in the American open wheel because there's plenty of those lessons still out there. Just embrace it, take the time to learn, and you'll come out of, come out of it with a good smile and a different perspective of how racing was back then to what it is today. Yeah, racing certainly has changed a ton. And one, to your point, one of one of my favorite things to do is to, to talk to older drivers. And and usually, they have the um, at Indianapolis on the Saturday before the race, they have Legends Day, and they they always have a couple of really big autograph sessions uh, with a bunch of past drivers from you know going you know all the way back uh, to to even to more recent. And usually, what I'll do, I don't I don't like to wait in line for autographs, but usually once that thing kind of finishes up. You'll find a lot of guys just, you know, with their family strolling around um, the Pagoda Plaza. You know, if I recognize somebody, I'll strike up a conversation, and it's always, always have a great conversation with some, with some, uh, some of those old folks. You know, those guys who've uh, really built a sport. So I just love. Frank, I love... I mean, you have to go and ask people. Frank, you have to go and ask people for autographs. I thought they'd come and, you know, give you an autograph. Just, you know. They know who you are, sure. Oh no, I don't. I know I don't collect autographs at all. I just I just like to strike up conversations. So <laughs> no, no, Richard. People generally ask me for my autograph. <laughs> so, but I but I digress. So uh, so we're off to Talladega next. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. Well, let's let's talk about Talladega a little bit. It's always always a crapshoot. Um, but you know, one thing that we haven't been doing this year on the show on a regular basis is picking winners. 
you know. So let's let's try to let's try to talk about Talladega a little bit, and then um, try to pick some winners, and then uh, then let's talk a little bit about Formula One because I understand there's a interesting um, thought out there about reconfiguring one of the tracks, and I'll uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, Seth Talladega. Well, as always, it's going to be unpredictable. Uh, they did change the package a little bit. Instead of it being 550 horsepower, it's going to be 510 horsepower. That should slow the speeds down by, I think they said about 5 miles per hour, 5 to 10 miles per hour, which is about 1 to 2 seconds on track. Uh, not to mention there's various safety improvements uh, following Newman and LaJoy's crash at Daytona. Uh, there's Instead of one Newman bar now, I believe there's two plus a LaJoy bar now. Uh, what's so funny, Richard? That's about right for Ryan to have two bars, isn't they? Jeez. <laughs> oh, I, I figured it was something related to that. Sorry. M- moving Sorry. on from that. Moving on He's from got that. To... Uh, there's not going to be any track. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, the practice session that had been planned... Uh, it would have only been 30-man practice anyway, uh, has been scrapped. So uh, it's just show so up that, and race. I mean, but for a, for a super speedway, that, you know, you want to get a little bit of practice in the pack, don't yeah, you? A little bit of drafting uh, practice. But apparently it's just going to be show up and race. Uh, so I believe mm. the only person... Okay. I believe the only I, it seems to me like Talladega is one of those tracks you want your setup to be spot on, you know. Yeah, it's probably yeah. Well, there's so little. But the problem is with the super with the, the well, super speedway. There's very little setup you can do because, like your springs and everything, you show, they're all given to you by NASCAR. Well, and as far so as there's Arca, not much you can do. As far as ARCA is concerned, uh, the reason why ARCA only has 21 cars, one team shut down during the pandemic. Uh, two teams scaled back because of where their drivers or sponsors are located. And one is based in Canada, so they can't actually come to that's, the U.S. That's the Van Buren team, right? Yeah, Red Jones Racing, yes. Uh, so that explains four of the teams uh, that are not showing up that were in Daytona. Plus, uh, some of the other teams that were in Daytona that are not showing up, like Ken Schrader, for example, uh, they just weren't able to get a sponsor and a driver. So, and I'd imagine that it's not feasible to just bring a car, wreck it right away, and not have it in any any experience. I think for a race like where everything that's happened, there's so many factors as to why it's just a low turnout. It's basically like a healthy arca field these days on an it, intermediate track it, it's essentially going to be venturini versus djr crosley um but going back to the cup series we're going to have james davidson making his debut he is the only driver to my knowledge uh this weekend that has absolutely zero experience on a i was going to ask team. how can he how can he get approval to race it then uh, it's normally uh, like when you race the, daytona you've got to do uh, arca races uh, or you've the, got to do some the reason why he got approved is because of his overall experience uh, th- racing throughout the world. And that yeah, I was going to say, Davidson's, the Indy Davidson's, yeah, Davidson's run the Indy 500, yeah. so you can't say he's got zero oh, experience yeah. on a super speedway. But, I mean, Maybe fact, not in an NASCAR car. The Indy 500 yeah. is completely, completely oh, different from a NASCAR super speedway. Yeah. I mean, this is pack racing. This is uh, a different world altogether. And I know they, they're pretty I, tight on that sort of stuff. Yeah, like Danica Does he not have to run the Arca race then? My understanding is what the I mean, only Daria had to do that, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, Danica and Montoya too had to run Arca Super Speedway before they even allowed them run on a big ovals on Cup or Xfinity. It was then nationwide oh. at the time. Well, to be fair, uh, I believe one of the Xfinity cars is still TBA, so. Maybe he'll slide into that to get some experience. I don't know. Um, that's that the 07. Right? Yes, that's the 07. Uh, that being said, um, honestly, he got approval for the 500, even though the deal never materialized. He got approval to run that. 
without running Arca, Xfinity, or Trucks. So if he got approval to run the 500, honestly, that approval just shifted to Talladega. Yeah, the, the whole thing is well, interesting. I might as well try and enter then. Yeah, you might as well. So speaking of which, guys, we only got a couple of minutes left. I do want to, to get to Formula 1, so everybody, real quick, pick a winner for Talladega. I'm going with Eric Jones. All right. Zeph? Bubble Walls. Richard? Brendan Gone. Brendan Gone. Okay, that's uh, that's out of left field. But I'm going to go with uh, Keselowski because uh, – Adoring, picking this. Adoring, yes, I know. Keselowski <laughs> always runs well at Talladega. So, Richard, talk to me yep. about this uh, revised Formula One course that almost looks like an oval. But, yeah. More of a square than an oval, isn't it? Yeah. Um, no, but it's quite, it's quite funny because apparently nobody told Bahrain. <laughs> it's like the Caesar Palace parking lot, the layout. Yeah, I mean, it's so it, for those of you who know the Bahrain circuit, you've got turns one, two, three, the little complex. Turn four, the right-hander, but instead of, like, doubling back on yourself and going to the infield, it's like a shortcut between turn four and turn 12 or 13, whatever it is. Um which was never meant that this the circuit that the Formula One was proposed was never designed as a circuit. The, the way the reason that, that little cut throughs there is so that they could actually run two circuits simultaneously. So you could have like a south circuit and a north circuit both running at the same time. Um, and it, it turns out that when the um, Bahrain circuit was asked for their opinion, their response was, "Oh, you know, nobody asked us." <laughs> So, uh, so Formula One have turned around and said, yeah, we're going to run on this almost oval, which is not an almost oval, goodness me. Um, you know, square track. Um, and, and nobody asked Bahrain if they can do that. I mean, they can. Uh, if you remember back to 2010, they actually run an elongated Bahrain circuit uh, as a celebration for the 60th Grand Prix or whatever, 60th season of Formula One. Right. Now, um, are they are they, they planning on – is it a doubleheader? They're going to want – run one race on the regular I think circuit and then the, and the other yeah, on the modified yeah. circuit? That's the plan, yeah. Uh, that'll be in like early December, I think the time scale is. Uh, and then mid-December, they'd go to Abu Dhabi because I think Abu Dhabi contractually has to be the last race of the season in Formula 1. Um, so they could move Abu Dhabi, but if they move it, it has to. everything else has to move as well. So if they keep pushing these races out, which by those things they're going to, Abu Dhabi always has to be the last race of the season. Um, and they pay yeah, a lot Abu Dhabi, for that. Yeah, it may end up happening in, uh, in, in 2021. It might be in January Almost. or February. Yeah. You know, by, um, by the way, we keep pushing out. So Formula 1 is set to start in Australia, correct? Austria. Austria, I'm sorry. Austria, and that's in July, right? July the 5th. Yeah. July the 5th. Yeah. yeah, well, that'll, that'll be a great weekend because we'll have, uh, you know, IndyCars racing yep. at the... Uh, yeah. At the Indy Grand Prix, Xfinity on the road course there, Formula One race to watch, and then, of course, the Brickyard 400 uh, coming up for July 4th weekend. In between there, we've got Talladega coming up. So, um, But we are out of time. So, uh, very, sorry, very quickly, before we go, I know, I know we're, we're cutting short on time, but we talk about double headers. Well, you want a, a, um, a packed schedule, Formula E in Berlin. We're not having six races. At the same circuit on the same time period. I mean, six, six races. Six races in nine days. Six, six in nine days. Utah? It's on the old, um, of Temple, the old original uh, Berlin Temple Airport. Off. They've used yeah. that before, Stoppelhof Airport, whatever it's called. Yeah, they've used Temple it before. Formula. Yeah, it's easy for you to say. Um, <laughs> um, they've used it a number of times for Formula E, and then it went away, and, and then it's just a big old disused airfield, really. Um, so uh, it's a perfect location for it. But uh, yeah, they're going to look to uh, to run run six races there in a in a two week period or ten day just period. Just kind of, kind of um, bang out one third of the season all at once, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess they can't all do it in like well, two days because they've got to they, give the batteries time to recharge. Yeah, they need yeah. To, they only need two races though for it to count as an official season. They this only is true. need another two. Have they already had two? They've already had some, haven't they? I they think, they've had. Because they go like six, over I the winter, believe. don't they? They'll have like a nineteen twenty season, or two thousand nineteen to two thousand twenty season. They've had six, and I believe they need eight. Okay, yeah. So they only need and two. Double so I don't know why they're doing so six. 
I think every Formula E. Because I mean, the, the more the merrier, Seth. Just because you know eight makes it official. I mean, why not you know have have a little more competition there? But hey, you guys, yep. remember remember what I said about two minutes ago about being out of time. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's right. I wasn't making that up. So we are out of time. <laughs> so I want to thank you, Richard, Seth, Louise. Appreciate you guys a ton. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, iHeartRadio, uh, Speaker, and Google Podcasts. And I want to thank all you folks that listen to us uh, week in and week out. Well, until next week. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.